Hey there. Guess what? I'm back and I got my microphone and I got my lamp and we're all set. So welcome to another edition of The Doctor Is In. Um, it's good to uh, be back behind the microphone. I um, I really like doing this um, and it's better than, I mean, I think it's better for me to explain um, instead of writing a cold report in words um, to kind of read and explain what I'm seeing around in the human trafficking world. So there is more updates about Relentless coming soon. Um, but in the meantime, I thought today I'd take a look at the newly republished, um, newly published, uh, the U.S. State Department tip report. And so that is Trafficking in Persons Report. It's published every year since the year 2000. It highlights certain themes, names some heroes, and the bulk of the content consists of lengthy profiles of every nation regarding their response to human trafficking within their borders as judged by, you guessed it, United States of America. Fun fact, the USA didn't start to include itself until 2010. So it's a review of what's going on in the world and it tracks trends. It's also used as a diplomatic tool when considering human rights as part of negotiating issues between nations and things like that. So there's regular sections on introductions, terminology, and methodology. And so there's what I'm going to spend the bulk of this talk is just talking about some of those special sections um, and where they're every year they're highlighting something different. And so this year, there was a huge focus on engaging survivors in the anti-trafficking movement. So this is really fantastic because survivors play an extremely important role in our efforts to prevent human trafficking, to help identify it and address the aftercare and recovery of survivors. So we do need more survivor input. Uh, it, it's absolutely essential and there's more and more trends. There's organizations that are led by survivors and organizations are including survivors and, and things like that. So that's that's really key. Um, and there's a lot more to be said um, and also done and researched about the proper recruitment and care of the survivor as he or she is working in the very sector that produced so much pain. Um, but that's that's not the, the time to go into that here. However, I want to address um, some of what the report says, but also I'm noticing some problematic terminology in the treatment of the subject in this document. And, and so I, I want to sort of help you guys be aware of some of the trends that I'm seeing here. Um, and so I, you, you might have different ideas or see things differently from me. And so I would love to hear from you about that. So, um, so Here's here's one of the gaps that I saw is that there's not much reporting in this in this in this report. There's not much written about the selection and training and the recruitment and development of survivors and making sure that they're a good fit for the organization, that they're healthy mentally, um, that there's you know there is a risk of codependency. There is a risk of having your healing, um, getting caught up in the helping, and there's an abuse of survivors and what they do for, and there's a check mark um, issue with some organizations. Yeah, we have a survivor, but they're not really doing proper care. So they do talk about uh, making sure that there's mental health support, and I guess they didn't go into a lot of detail, so I guess that's a gap, but I just wanna make sure that 
you know, we are looking at the de development, the mental health support to make sure that survivors are properly taken care of, you know, because there's the challenges of working in a potentially uh, triggering environment, you know, in this sector. And so that they do mention that the environment should be safe for people to experience triggers, which is good because you can't really predict. Um, but, you know, and it's not about avoidance of triggers. I've spoken a lot about trauma and things like that, but, you know, just making sure that, you know, the, these, that we're not abusing survivors in, in the, in trying to meet this quota of having survivors in your care. So, um, that being said, you know, they're talking about having, you know, a board so that you have the organization and then you have an independent board or council of advisors to another, to the organization of the organization. Then you have an independent board or council of advisors to this organization, which is good. The bigger the organization, I guess, um, and that the organization should have survivors and the independent board or council of advisors should have it, but that they also said, which was kind of interesting to me that this independent board have an additional third party of independent survivors. So you have, you have this organization, you have the independent board of advisors, and then you have another third party of advisors of lived experience experts to oversee and check on the safety of the organization or making sure that there's proper equity, diversity, equity and inclusion, things like that. So you see where we're going. Um, there is a lot about bias and equity experience um, and less so about evidence-based and researched interventions that provide measurable and meaningful outcomes. I mean, this is about survivors, but still, I, I would like to have more proposals for sound research about outcomes and, and how to better prepare and, and the long-term mental health of survivors who are working in this sector. And so that we can look back, do prospective studies and understand more about what is, what is doing, you know, are, are there predictors of mental health stability and things like that for survivors who are involved in the sector. I mean, it's, it's definitely a risk. Um, there was a very interesting uh, couple of notes about survivors may not have regular bank accounts or other regular financial support. You know, that may be true. And that survivors may have, quote, unlimited access and complicated relationship with traditional banking institutions. And therefore, organizations should find creative ways or even creating a, quote, special system to compensate them. You know, I, okay, so I get that they have, but if they're survivors and they're out of a trafficking situation and they're being employed legally um, or legally compensated by these organizations, why are we not helping and assisting with their financial stability? Why are we not helping them with their banking and their saving and their financial stability? Um, and if we're looking for ways to compensate them outside of regular financial institutions, are we going to pay in Bitcoin? 
you know, I just wonder also how this creativity might be received with the tax accounting and donors and financial accountability. I don't know. That just seemed a little dodgy to me. Um, there is a couple of contradictions uh, just, and I'll get into why this is triggering, you know, about this lived experience, you know, and then they're saying, be aware of unquote from the report, be aware of unbiased, be aware of and unbiased to the differences in laws and government practices when looking for how promising practices vary across the globe. Um, and yet the same document criticizes how certain countries and cultures are handling the trafficking situation. I mean, that's the whole point of the report. Um, I understand, I mean, that was kind of my re comment earlier. The USA is not perfect, and yet we're criticizing, but, you know, there's perhaps different, Why? who are we, according to this, you know, they have their own lived experience about um, dealing with trafficking, but that's not the point, as I will show you later. Another contradiction you know where they're talking about getting more survivors and lived experience experts into organizations to advise organizations which again i'm not really against but you know like quote when engaging with or providing services to people of different cultures it is essential not to assume people of the same ethnic background have the same beliefs or cultural practices true true this is where cultural humility and competence comes in However, I'm wondering what happens when a lived experience expert from a particular target group might have differing beliefs and practices from the majority of said target group. Maybe, you know, this is where we have cultural humidity, humility. This is why when we do have survivor input, um, but that you might have a survivor from, a, from said target group and yet represents a minority of opinions. And so, Yes, I mean, we do need to be aware of this, but that when the problem is when we're relying on the lived experience expert as being the having all the knowledge of what's happening. And that's where this where that's where this trend of lived experience and the postmodern woke critical social just theory comes in. And this is where I'm seeing this trend infiltrating the anti-human trafficking sector. And this is where I'm going to go with the next part of this talk. And so, you know, lived experience. And so I'm going to quote a lot from uh, the website, New Discourses, which is really excellent. They have a whole encyclopedia of terms that you may un not understand. Like what is queer theory? What is ableism? Uh, what is lived experience, for example? And so, you know, in lived experience, you know, people are experts in their own lived experience, and that can con conflict when providing guidance for organizations who seek to provide care for so many people with a wide variety of experiences, like I mentioned before. Um, but this is from the website. In the theory of critical social justice, lived experience is the overwhelmingly primary way in which knowledge can be obtained. This should not be mistaken to mean one's firsthand experience with all of us. Um, we all have first-hand experience, and that informs, um, you know, how we live and be in the world. Um, so most of us already recognize that that provides a rather weak claim upon knowledge. Okay, so I have an experience, but that doesn't mean that's like what's true for everyone. Um, 
So let me go back again. So lived experience is a primary way in which knowledge can be obtained, but it should not be mistaken to mean one's firsthand experience, which most of us already recognize to provide a rather weak claim upon knowledge, though it is both implied and claimed that this is what lived experience refers to in critical social justice. So I go on. Lived experience as critical social justice uses the term refers more specifically to one's life experiences in allegedly systemic power dynamics of dominance and oppression that shape society structurally as understood with a critical consciousness and interpreted through capital T theory. I go on quote, because lived experience refers to an interpretation through theory, it is only the lived experience of oppression as theory will have it that counts. Thus, people in dominant groups or occupying relatively dominant positionalities in an intersectional analysis generally cannot appeal to their own experiences and call them lived experience because they haven't lived the experience of oppression. So my, so I cannot be a lived experience uh, expert because I do not have experience in oppression. Although, yeah. So anyway, so this is why we're seeing when we start to see less reliance on empirical research and data gathering and more weight put on the lived experience of so-called lived experience experts, then there's a problem. I mean, it, we should have both and. You know, this is how we gain knowledge. We have experience of the world, we have knowledge. And this is how all of us learn, but it's the the tipping of the balance and disregarding one to have only the lived experience of the oppressed. That's what counts. So I'm all for more input from survivors to help us inform what we are doing in the anti-trafficking sector. I've worked with a number of them that have been immensely helpful. I've also seen them abused in, in ways that shouldn't be uh, by the organization just to highlight and to tell their story and over and over and over again. And so that's another issue of ethical storytelling, which they address in the report and I'm not gonna go into here, but, but we need to be more engaged with survivors to inform our interventions and care. Their lived experiences really do matter and help immensely. So, um, but, it is possible that we are also seeing an encroachment of postmodern critical theory into this space, which will only lead to more confusion and overall less wisdom. You know, one clue that we're reading here is lived experience, as I said, other forms of learning. You know, the lived experience is only form of learning. And so the result is that when good research is carried out, but produces results and conclusions that contradict the woke narrative, then that research must be changed or disregarded. And I have seen this happen already, unfortunately. So I just wanted to highlight that and I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. But I'm gonna go on to other, mention other highlights from the report, which is not bad. So the state, they have a section on state-sponsored slavery, kind of bold because they're talking about China, North Korea, um, but they're also dealing with child soldiers, supply chain accountability, and slavery, particularly in China's Belt and Road Initiative. They have a section on promising practices in data collection, management, and dissemination. Good points, because we really do need that. You know, we need that research. We can't forget that. Um, there's a, some case studies, which highlights some, you know, puts some 
human story into all of this reporting and data. Um, but I found that some of them describe scenarios that do not account for the fact that different nations employ different definitions of human trafficking and deploy different methods of addressing the crime. And so, you know, it's not to say these nations are perfect in their methods, but that these stories are nuanced in a way. If you read, I mean, if you read the report and you find the ones that I'm talking about, I'd love to hear, see if you're seeing the same thing as what I see is, is that there's certain agenda that they're going to promote that this country is bad and that these people are always good. Um, and that these stories like context and nuance about this particular situation, which is always a problem um, when you're talking about stories. So is this an example of telling a story that's right? Is this an example of how not to do ethical storytelling? I don't know. So just want you to put on your thinking caps here. And so another section on forced labor and the clean energy transition, finding a responsible way forward. Yes, because we know our solar panels are tainted. Every single one of them, different parts are tainted by slave labor, by the Uyghur Muslims or other people in China. And so, but their solution is to improve sector governance, including protection for labor rights through adherence to the highest ESG standards. So ES in environment, social governance uh, standards, ESG, blah, 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 um, talking about all that. Um, except you know that, you know, ESG is not the end all be all. So except Tesla has a pretty low ESG score. Well, not totally low, but um, anyway, it's lower than Microsoft, I think, last time I checked. But so you know, they're addressing that there's its problem. We want to have these clean energy, but yet all the clean energy is produced by slaves. So, hmm, dilemma, what are we gonna do about that? So, and then there's another section entitled the climate crisis, exacerbating vulnerabilities and the looming increase of exploitation. So cli climate change linked events, I quote, have cost hundreds of thousands of lives and billions of dollars in damage. There's no reference for that. Millions of people around the globe were forcibly displaced due to general generalized violence, human rights violations, armed conflicts, and increasing threats caused by climate change. And also the problem, the, all the problems by LGBTQ plus IAA2S something. You know, that's also due to climate change. Now, climate change is real, um, but I, I, I'm going to just put a pin in that. I'm working on another podcast about this just to expose um, the intersection of the climate crisis and human trafficking and how they're just creating more crisis and they're creating a lot of noise uh, for a nothing burger. Um, I'm not saying human trafficking isn't on the rise. I'm not saying that there isn't an issue with the climate. I'm just saying that that's not what exactly how you're hearing. So look forward to that. So I couldn't help but re read the report on Germany. It's had to read this profile since I was there on the ground during the pandemic. Um, uh, during the pandemic, I got promoted. Germany got promoted from tier two to tier one. Not sure why. Um, well, they did. They on paper they had they had these things that they did, um, which I mean the things that they did isn't bad. It's just what I saw 
um, wasn't on the ground, you know, the improvements didn't really make a difference um, on the ground. So what they did on paper at this high altitude level wasn't translating into real change or benefit for victims and survivors. Um, but this, this is not unique to Germany. So the section on prevention, which I'm really key on, uh, prevention um, counts as doing some awareness, but it's just really what they threw prevention is just a mishmash of the other piece, like prosecution and protection. And they dress it up as prevention. So if you identify uh, more uh, victims, then that's prevention. If you educate about demand, um, or if you're increasing shelter availability, or just doing more general awareness, like, you know, have a 5k race about human trafficking or something. You know, my favorite, this is my favorite, telling German men to stop going abroad to shag women whilst on holiday in other countries. Okay, yeah. Stop it. Well, anyway, so that that's it. Um, you know, Germany, they're on the way. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not perfect, um, but man, they have a they have a long way to go. Um, and you can look at some of the other videos about what's going on in Germany to find that out. I'll, uh, but I'll um, wrap this up here. Keep it a bit short. I hope that this was helpful for you to understand a little bit more about the tip report about what they're trying to do, and also you know, some of the, the nuance and trends that I'm seeing from my position here. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Um, if you disagree, or if you disagree, di agree or disagree, or if you just have questions or want me to do a deeper dive on anything else you, hear, uh, you heard here. So thank you. I'd love to engage with you. Let me know what you care about, what you want to hear about. Um, and of course, I have to say like and subscribe and blah, blah, blah. Um, get out there and um, make some vitamin D too while you're at it. Great. Have a good day. Bye.